0: So, I am joined by Paul Jackman. This is going to be an interview uh, edition of the Modern Maker Podcast. I'm in Washington, D.C. right now for a YouTube event, and Paul's in the area. And so, he and one of his uh, giant nutcrackers, which happens to be in the driver's seat of his car, uh, made their way over here. So, Paul, welcome. Hey, thanks. Thanks for coming to D.C. No, uh, it was funny. <laughs> I just saw you at, like, Workbench Con, and now it's like... Uh, re-colliding
1: yeah you you came to me this time
0: so 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 first things first uh why is the nutcracker still in your car
1: (laughs) (laughs) to get me in the carpool lane pretty much
0: have you done that like because it doesn't really come apart right it's
1: all one linear six foot long piece yeah yeah like the arms come off but the whole body is is together so it's laying down in my passenger seat right now in the back of my car and that was the real reason i wanted to have you on (laughs) Is like I want you to discuss what it's like to own
0: and drive a honda element Yep. i find that like an oddly practical maker car that like people don't and people so associate people like us with like trucks yep uh but you're like rocking the honda element which i've always when i've ever like
1: looked at it I'm like that kind of totally makes sense it's the perfect vehicle for everything like it's not it's not really good at any particular thing but it's average at, like, everything. Can you get a whole board. sheet of plywood in? or You can, like, at an angle. It doesn't fit flat like a truck. It's wide. It's wide and boxy. It's boxy, yeah. So you put it in at, like, a 45-degree angle, and you could fit a few sheets in there. Or I have a roof rack, and I, if I get thicker sheets, I'll just slap them on the top. But like eight foot material will fit in if you like the Nutcracker. Yeah. <laughs> you put the fa- passenger seat folds completely flat and the back seats fold completely flat. So you can put eight foot material from the front to back. Yeah, that's Basically at the glove compartment all the way to the, the back of the car.
0: It's like a compressed minivan or box truck. Right. And then the other thing, I, it first caught my eye when I was living in Southern California. I think when it first came out, because they were really marketing it as like kind of like a surf vehicle too. Because it's mm-hmm. like, it's kind of a waterproof interior. Yeah. Yeah. To a point. It's yeah. like pretty rubberized. The rubber
1: thing. floors. Yeah, the water seats or the, the, the seats are waterproof.
0: Yeah, the the two use the two user cases that I've seen who just swear by them are makers, mm-hmm. uh, actually three. Makers, caterers, people that have small catering businesses, because it's easy to get stuff in and out, and mm-hmm. they can also lock everything in there quickly. Yep. And then uh, <laughs> pet groomers and dog walkers dog walkers love them because it's like this big boxy thing where they can shove a whole bunch of animals in the back and they can kind of hose it out when
1: they're done yeah before they stopped making it in 2010 or 2011 um, they started to figure out what the market was (laughs) because from that point they were like trying to sell it to like 20 something males who don't have money to buy a new car right like no wonder people aren't buying it and, and that's all they were marketing it towards. And eventually they made like a dog specific model. Like there was like dog print on the seats and everything. And there was like attachments for like a ramp for your dog. And they like started to market it towards that that world. But like the contractor world, they never touched. I feel like it has a good application. Like you see the, the Ford, the vans, right. the little vans driving around everywhere now. And that's like the niche that it fits into But it's even more useful than that because you have back seats and you can pop those out and in and it kind of fits like a, a Swiss army knife fits everything.
0: Yeah. I always wonder with like trucks, like, like it's funny because like electricians and plumbers tend to go more of the van route than the mm-hmm. truck route. And I feel like a lot of like the, the carpenters and stuff that go with the trucks, it's not so much because of an actual assessment of utility. It's more because they feel like that's kind of what they're supposed to go with. Yep. Um, yeah, the number of messages
1: that I get from people like that on, on Instagram, whatever, when I post photos of the element, they're like, oh, you got to get a truck. And I'm like, well, why? Right.
0: <laughs> and it's funny. They're not saying that. They're saying that as a reaction thing. They're saying that because of, like, iconography and imagery yeah. and, like, badassery. Like, all these sort of, like, associations mm-hmm. of, like, culture, not actual applications.
1: Yeah, I, I, I assume they don't really think about what they're saying. It's just second nature. Like... Right. You, you work with wood, you buy a truck. That's right. just how it is.
0: My equivalent for that is people always say, "Oh, you need a workbench, or you need yep. <laughs> you know, yep. you need a table saw, or these kind of things." Which – it's funny. These things are actually for for mm. reasons. Often, like uh, for me, it's like the thing I dislike about trucks, you mm. know, especially doing construction for like the container house is that you can't just. If you go inside of a store and everything's in the back, people can just grab a circular saw out of it. Like, I like (laughs) enclosure. I like this idea of a mobile lockbox for tools and materials and stuff like that. And the one exceptions are when I sort of pick up plywood and lumber. That's the only time I think where, like, an open bed, you know, is actually desirable or advantageous. But 90% of the time, I want something with, like, high boxy ceilings where I can fit odd shaped things the element you could probably put like a, a washing machine or a dishwasher in like upright. Yep. I've uh, seen people
1: put motorcycles in the back <laughs> to haul them around. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> like, I feel like pickup trucks are inherently like very, they're, they're not very useful. Right. Like, for, for like a very specific use case if you're like dumping mulch in the back or something. Yeah. Like it makes sense. But otherwise like you can't haul long lumber. Right. right? And, and if you have, you have a ladder rack. And if you have a new truck, you don't want to dump anything in the back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, but it's. Yeah, the dollars $60,000 pickup trucks that are on yeah. the market now. You're just driving them around like a luxury car.
0: Although, that being said, that Dodge Ram was pretty sweet. <laughs> it was nice. <laughs> it was funny, though. It was like.
1: <laughs> the air suspension and stuff. I, know. Like I just kept hitting buttons. and. Well,
0: the, the air suspension was no joke because, I mean, I, I for the construction side, I'm going up, uh, across pretty rough, dirt roads and I was going like 40 miles an hour just gliding. Yeah. But it was weird. It was like this truck is like really diesel, powerful, but it also was like almost too luxurious. Like it made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. There's a little bit of yeah. a show pony kind of aspect to it. I felt bad putting pallets in the back of it.
1: <laughs> like it just felt wrong lifting the pallets and throwing them in the back. Yeah. I did
0: like did you have the one with the little toolboxes built no. to on the side? That no, was pretty not cool. get that one. And then But yeah, it was it was weird that they're combining luxury with utility. Mm-hmm. And, it, I mean, it must be a really challenging thing for them to figure out where that kind of line is. Because, obviously, I mean, at that price point, it's not like a tradesman buying a $60,000 truck. Right. Uh, it's like maybe a general contractor after a good year or something. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, the boss man. Right. So, it's yeah.
1: more like a mobile office it has to have the iconography of construction. <laughs> yeah, it has to look like a work vehicle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I'm sitting here saying a pickup truck is useless, but like there's a market for them because they sell like crazy. Yeah, like the nice. F-150 is like the best-selling pickup truck. Yeah, like or a car in in general, the best-selling car in, in the. In oh, that's the right. Yeah, and a lot of the American manufacturers
0: are even thinking of like stopping producing cars and going all trucks. Yeah, yeah. I think Ford has, has
1: done that. Yeah, like they're doing away with like the, the small sedans and whatnot. Yeah, and replaced the, the trucks. Do you know uh,
0: chopped? Chopped with Chris. Yeah. He does... He's, like, always... He cracks me up. Because he, he's... I always see him, like, putting, like, a giant hardwood log in, like, the back of, like, a Honda. Like, yeah. sedan or or He's got like, a little Honda
1: Civic or something yeah. like that. Yeah.
0: He's, like, popping open the hatchback. Like, you see the suspension just getting abused. And he's, <laughs> like... Also, that guy has, like, a physicality to the way he makes things. Like, it's just so kinetic and aggressive. Like... Yeah. Uh, yeah he seems like a it makes me exhausted sort of watching him but it's funny Like, in whenever I'm traveling in developing countries I'm always impressed by like how they use like motorcycles for example for like transporting like construction goods yeah so I'm in like Africa or South America you'll see them some guy with a motorcycle carrying like you know 15 foot long steel sticks right like on the side like a, he's about to joust somebody <laughs> uh but just, like, moving them through, like, crowded city traffic and, you know, splitting lanes between the other cars and, and getting to the
1: construction site. Yeah, just by necessity. Yeah. It's like, that's what you got to do. That's, that's your equipment and you got to find a way to do it.
0: Yeah. Well, I think, it's, I think this is actually, like, an appropriate segue into talking about your work because uh, you do a lot of woodworking. You do a lot of pallet stuff. But I think you are free from like certain associations that'll let you not only drive a Honda Element, mm-hmm. but also let you take on a uh, totally different kind of woodworking projects than I think what we typically associate with woodworkers and particularly people that do a lot of stuff with uh, pallet wood, the, the sort of, and it's funny too, so I, I was talking to someone about you at, at WorkbenchCon and they're saying, oh, you know, he's just doing crazy stuff and that's why it works for him. I'm like well if you actually watch from his first videos to what he's doing now it's escalated but there's a through line like there's this consistency from where you started to what you're doing now like the material palette is largely the same a lot of this sort of uh the ideas of sort of assembling blocks of materials and then manipulating those blocks of materials to make your finished projects mm-hmm. and then this exploration and power carving are just a few of the the trends that I, at least from what I've seen, yep. sort of a, a emerging. But like, do you feel like what you do is like crazy, or do you feel like it's just like this is how it's naturally evolved? Yeah, it's been
1: it's been a very incremental change to get to where I am now. Um, both the videos and the projects. Um, I, I've had the, the advantage of starting young, like I was a, a teenager when I started woodworking and went to a vocational high school and, and learned a lot of the foundation there. So, like, I'm, I'm 28 now, mm. and, you know, my level of woodworking is, is ahead of probably most people that are 28, and that's just kind of naturally, as projects have, have progressed, I kind of had a new thing in with every project, and uh, it's turned into what it is now. It's not like it's been a big leap. Right. Like, I started learning, you know, 10 years ago, a little bit more than that, and, and you know, you learned how to make boxes, how to make stools. And it's like, once you, once you do that and you build a cabinet, it's like, well, everything's a box, (laughs) just in a different form. And you kind of learn the joints and all that. It's like, well, what can we do with this? And it's been the same uh, evolution with the pallet stuff. Like I saw people building a pallet coffee table, a pallet wall. And I, you know, kind of started playing with the pallet stuff and I was like, well, you know, this has a lot more potential. Like I want to see where this can go because people aren't pushing it far enough. You know, the they're kind of taking the material as what it is and not thinking past right, kind of the rustic uh, charm of it, if you, if you could call it that.
0: Right. They're they're taking the pallet wood almost as a design cue rather than a source material. Yeah. yeah. So the end product looks like it's made from pallet wood. Right. You've already treated it more like a commodity, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I need this many... Uh, right. You're not letting the material dictate your creativity. You're saying like, oh, I'm going to make a nutcracker and I'm gonna need this many uh, cubic inches of material, <laughs> right? And it's gotta come from pallets because this is what I have. And so, how much of the how much of the the pallet wood thing was like intentional? Like, was that like a, an intention from the beginning, or is it just something that was about availability? Or how did you get started with that type of consistent through point?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of reasons. Um, Primarily just the free materials Um, when you're starting off woodworking, like, you know, I had no shop space really. So you kind of spend money on your tools and and, uh, try to find free or cheap material and pallets are a very easy, accessible uh, way to do that. And it's, it's, um, it's kind of grown from there where I could buy fancy walnut material and and use that instead.
0: I love how how fancy always has to come in front of (laughs) Walnut.
1: I don't particularly like Walnut anyway, but that's like, for whatever reason, that's, that's the top of the line right there. That's your escalate of of wood. And, uh, I don't know. I I just, at this point I, I could do that, but I feel like pallet wood is so approachable. Right. If people want to get into woodworking, like you find a pallet on the corner and tear it apart and turn it into something. And, and the, um, you know, cost of that is is basically zero. It's just your time that you're investing in in the material, and if you screw it up, you go find another pallet for free. Yeah. And um, like I said before, I'm trying to see what's what's the level, like how how far can we bring that? And um, also, it's it's all uh, kind of going back to the same um, the same thing of just using trash. You know, like a, a big time environmentalist, mm-hmm. and um, uh, you know, just being kind to the to the planet of you know not throwing good materials away. Right. Um, pallets are kind of a a big focal point of that, like right. the number that you see in, in the trash, is just crazy, and uh, it's something that, that people can identify with, you know, in the videos and, and the projects. So you, you title a, a project pallet wood right. coaster, pallet wood, you know, whatever it is, like people know what that is,
0: right? And from like a channel and content standpoint, that creates a, a consistent thing that your channel is in part about this material source and things like that which Mm -hmm. i think uh helps sort of congeal an an audience around that that particular material source but i think the i mean correct me if i'm wrong i've always got the impression that i think you're a great example of this where so many people try to set like it's it's good to set rules and standardized practices because they help reduce the amount of decisions we need to make on a daily basis Mm -hmm. right so if you're starting a project you have like certain assumptions like what materials you're going to use it's already kind of baked in so it's like one less thing to think about but what i've always got the impression from you is that you're not like married to those things like you i think a lot of people will they'll set up okay here's the rules i'm only going to do this kind of stuff i'm always going to publish on this day of the week and it's going to be a video every week i'm only going to do this type of woodworking because this is what i think and what they do is they just they're coming there i see when they're brainstorming they're coming with a lot of reasons why they can't do something so it's it's interesting that you have a lot of this consistency with like how you sort of work, but you seem at least, and we all never see how people sort of struggle in the creative process, mm-hmm. but it seems really just like fun. And even though there's a lot of tedious making parts to what you do, it seems to be like a pretty like comfortable like expression. So how do you sort of balance
1: creating rules that help you be more efficient without boxing yourself too in? Yeah, I mean, there is, a familiarity with pallets at this point. like I'm used to working with them, so it is a familiar material. Um, I'm not afraid to venture outside of that. Like The Nutcracker wasn't actually made from pallets. It was made from reclaimed beams and studs and stuff. The same idea. It's a bunch of little pieces of wood glued together to make a bigger piece. um, Kind of stemming off the same thing as what I do with pallets, gluing those together. Um, But that... um, But there the consistency was also with
0: the power carving and and the the sort of ways of creating interesting geometries that are different out of Pieces.
1: Yeah, like I'm not set set on, on one thing in particular. Like I'm The, the reason I've embraced power carving is um, it's very approachable. Same thing with the pallets. Mm-hmm. Like they're very approachable. Anybody can get a pallet. And power carving, like all of my power carving tools fit in one little tool bag. Right. Like you don't need a shop space for that even. Angle
0: grinder is pretty amazing. Right? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. The number of things you can add on to that and, and do with it. It's, and and the shapes that you can create from it that are just unique. Cut, and,
0: carve, sand. Yeah. Like, yeah.
1: And a lot of times there's no other, other way to do it. Right. Just a simple tools is, is the way to go. Yeah.
0: It, it's fine. So you work with Arbitech a lot. Mm-hmm. Like what what sort of came first? Was it sort of the relationship with Arbitech or the interest in power carving? And now it seems like you're just now it just seems like every time I look at your Instagram, it seems like somebody's like, Oh, can you make a Jackman sized version <laughs> of this? So for those of you who don't know, Paul's been making a lot of just oversized objects kind of meticulously rendered. In uh, in pallet wood, and then he'll often partner with people to make a specialty component. So he recently made a giant craftsman screwdriver. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, somebody pointed out that you did the Phillips head color
1: on the flathead screwdriver. Yeah, because it's not done yet. Ah, I'm, ah. Gonna, I'm gonna paint it red. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, a lot of people like to do that. They're like, actually. Well, actually, <laughs> yeah. We all know
0: the, Well, actually, yeah. bugs. I got quite um, a few of those. So. Are you getting hit up on a pretty regular
1: basis? Can you make a big version of X? It's it's starting to turn into that. Like the whole the hashtag Jackman size thing kind of started as a joke because mm-hmm. I'm a large human, yeah. and it just kind of naturally um, progressed from – I don't even know. I think the first project was a little Lego man, like the minifig. Right. And there was a 2x4 challenge, and right. I was like, well, let me make a big one out of a 2x4. It was a single 2x4, and I made one about a foot and a half tall or something. I think that was the first, the first project. But it's always – it's just a fun – um, it's a fun exercise in in uh, creativity because, like, there's no established way to make a three-and-a-half-foot-long block plane or uh, right. All right, number five. Uh, well, it was a jack plane. Right. And uh, a jack and jack plane. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but there's no established uh, route to get from the, the material to a finished uh, right. a finished piece like that. Same thing with the screwdriver. It's a four-time scale screwdriver. So you're testing yourself with, like, every every step of, of that build, it's like, well, how do I do this? Because, you know, if, if you're building a cabinet, there's kind of established rules of how you do that and the techniques and kind of start to finish, there's a step-by-step thing. Um, whereas when you're, uh, especially like the screwdriver, I wanted to pour it out of epoxy resin, right. which isn't really meant to be poured that thick. No. But I was like, I think there's a way to do this. There's gotta be a way to do this. And you did it on the light. I did, yeah. Yeah, so what I did is I made a wood mold and then I used a two-part silicone to make a negative of that. And then I made it so I could mount the, the box that's holding the, the silicone. I, I could mount that on the lathe, poured in enough that it would be a half inch layer around the outside, and then spun it up to like six hundred RPM to get layers, half inch layers, but from the outside and, and work the way. It out. was
0: pretty cool. It was like Yeah, it was <sighs> That's why science is important, kids. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, no that, that that was the that was one of those projects where what you're making isn't important. It's that it's basically like a, it's almost like a, like a, what a premise is for comedy, mm-hmm. right? Like it's just a structure that allows you to improvise and develop humor around. Yeah. The idea of like, I'm going to make a big screwdriver isn't funny or entertaining of itself, but it's a structure that lets you then do interesting problem solving of how do I make a big uh, epoxy handle that is too thick to cast in a, in a monolithic pour. And then how do I also, also epoxy is really expensive. How do I be material efficient? Mm-hmm. So how do I make a mold where it just sticks to the outside and then you use centrifugal force to, to spin it and cast it that way. So yeah, it's funny that, I guess I always think of yourself uh, in association to comedy because you put a lot of like humorous uh, little portions in that and you know check out his uh his instagram handles this is paul jackman right jackman works jackman works um into instagram and you'll see a lot of the little outtakes where he's very deadpan delivering absurdity uh uh yeah so
1: it's yeah i've really embraced that too it's it's like i don't know you watch like norm and stuff and they have like a very you know, the editing style of those videos is like very dry and it has a certain audience. And I was like, I appreciate that for what it is. Like I enjoyed that back when I was a kid, I would watch those programs, but I was like, you you want to, We all talk about, like, getting outside of of the maker community. You want more people to make stuff. Like, how you do it is making it more approachable by making it out of palace, but also making it fun. Right. And adding in bits bits of humor and stuff will bring people in from outside the space. Like, there's people that watch my videos just to watch them. Right. Like, they have no intention of building stuff. Maybe they'll get there eventually, um, but they just watch it just for the entertainment value.
0: Do you consider yourself, like, a patient person? Because, like, your stuff is very, (laughs) like, I mean... The coasters, for example. Yeah. He made these incredible coasters. But it was like, I was watching this unfold on Instagram. And I'm just seeing like step after step of like milling the, I mean, I don't even think you showed a lot of the, the sort of deassembling the pallets now. I think you just got to no. kind of start. Let's like, get past that. Right. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so one, disassembling, removing all the nails from pallets is work. And then you like, you know, mill it, glue it up into the one box or one kind of type of stock then you cut that stock, and then glue those pieces up into another type of stock, mm-hmm. and it's like probably like three or four steps of just reprocessing and recutting to get this really crazy di- interlocked sort of diamond pattern. Yeah. It involved cutting at angles, doing weird glue ups, and it just kept going and going. Like the, it's funny because the, the result is spectacular, uh, and it's not that like people couldn't conceive of it, right? Like, there's other people that could conceive of that, but it takes a certain kind of uh, intestinal fortitude to kind of just be like, no, this is going to suck. This <laughs> is gonna, this, there's no fast way to do that, right? Like, no, no,
1: there really isn't. And like you were saying before about the comedy premise, like that whole project was basically a comedy premise. It's like, we're going to turn pallets into coasters, and it's like, what's the, the longest route that we can take to get to that finished product? Right. And like, I was having so much fun in Instagram stories, because I don't tell people what I'm building. I just kind of tease it little by little and see how long it takes people to figure out. And like I started with a bunch of pallets, I glued them together, and, and there was the, the piece before I started slicing it up was like three feet by two feet, eight inches thick. It was a hundred and something pounds of pallet wood and, and glue. And then I sliced that up. I re sawed that into a bunch of slices and then cut that into coasters. And it's like, I was talking through the whole process and then I get to this point and I was like, yeah, so I'm making coasters out of this. Right. <laughs> it's like all the work leading up to that point. People are like, what is this? This is going to be incredible. And I was like, it's coasters. Right. <laughs> yeah. and that, that was like the punchline right there. Was that Instagram story? I was like, yeah, it's coasters.
0: Yeah. It's uh, it's well, like, in doing construction stuff, the mo- the funniest moments on job sites are when everything's kind of slightly awful, right? Like something about like a little bit of suffering that makes everyone get a little bit giggly because mm-hmm. you're just like, this is so ridiculous. What else can go wrong? And then like, a f- you know, it starts raining. Or, right, yeah. And just the absurdity of like how difficult and stupid things can get is sometimes all you can do is sort of laugh. Mm-hmm. And I think there's this weird kind of like, you sort of put yourself in like a somewhat torturous arduous project that most people wouldn't have the fortitude to sort of work through but then it's kind of like you're making it humorous along the way and kind of silly right so you're sort of acknowledging like that the hassle but it's all in this kind of like uh sort of woodworking jester kind of (laughs) fun spirit
1: right right and and, uh I forgot what I was gonna say. <laughs> I had a good point to make. Um,
0: well, I, th- I think it's like. Well, I think it also creates like a moment of celebration at the end, where you get to crack a coconut and.
1: Yeah, yeah, like there, there is a certain level of patience there to get through, uh, to get through the project. But like that's that's the thing is like having that end goal in mind, whether it's just the joke of making. Palletwood coasters with all this, this, you know, week, two week long process to come up to this like final piece that Mm -hmm. people won't appreciate unless they see the process. Um, Or the Nutcracker is like a really good example. Like the whole time I was building that, I was like, the end goal is to crush a coconut. Right. I'm going to pour it on myself. (laughs) Like that image in my head got (laughs) me through that project. Like I'm not the most patient person, but knowing that that was the end goal and that was going to happen, like that drives you forward. Mm -hmm. But it's also just kind of, it's almost to spite people too at the same time. Like, the same thing with the pickup truck and the element. Like, I want to, I don't want to buy a pickup truck now specifically because people tell me I need one.
0: Right. You have a little bit of contrarian in mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. Like, you're also, like, vegetarian or vegan? Vegetarian, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Like, you're not... I, it's funny. Like I, I mean, no one knows how, all these, how creativity is connected in all aspects of life, but it seems like you kind of like... certain expectations like you play in genres like woodworking and making and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but you just like to tweak it like just a little bit from what's sort of expected of the typical woodworking guy with a beard yeah yeah because I look like a woodworker right so (laughs) that's
1: the thing it's like I want to I want to play with that like like have some fun with with everything and, and see where you can drive that because, like, that's the thing is when people wall themselves in and they follow, like, a formula to, to build something. Like, this connects to my WorkMatchCon talk, right. which was titled F the Formula. Right. Uh, me and Zach Herberholz talked about just, like, if, if you're following a formula, like, you're never going to develop your own thing. Right. Like, you're, if you stay within the lines, like, who knows what's outside that you're missing. Right. I think it's because
0: people often connect their creative pursuits with identity. Mm-hmm. Right? They sort of, like, say, oh, I'm this kind of guy. Like, I'm not... I'm not artsy, or I'm not, uh, I don't have like musical or like soft, soft talented skills or these sort of things. So it's like, I'm a logical, rational, hardworking guy. And therefore, I can't wear bright colors. (laughs) I need to, I need to do like, wear like very sensible shoes um, and listen to this kind of music. And therefore, my woodworking is an expression of this. And I get, it's a challenge to my identity when I do something that isn't, the right way or a practical way or to make a rational
1: pr- uh, product yeah that's the thing like people like to pigeonhole themselves to say i'm a woodworker i'm right. a metalworker, whatever it is or like even politically it's like i'm on the left i'm on the right like right. the reality is we're mostly in the middle somewhere there's a range of, of things and like that's the thing i don't want to be called a woodworker i don't want to be a videographer or a comedian like i want kind of a little bit of that play with those with those things and see, see where that goes. Right. And it's like, I don't even know where the future of my business goes. Like right now I'm I'm a woodworker that makes videos, but originally it started as a woodworker that made stuff to sell. Right. And now it's kind of focusing on the videos with a a hint of comedy. So maybe I take the comedy and and run with that.
0: Right. Like I I think the, the talks about the future of your business is so overstated Mm -hmm. because none of us know. Like it doesn't mean we don't think about it. It's not, it doesn't mean I don't care. I care a great deal. But I can't control all of it. It's but, like that question, like, where do you see yourself in five years? Right. So it's like, I don't know what the future of your business will be, but I know what the future of your skill set is going to be because I know what it has been. You've get, you're get you going to get better at woodworking. You're going to experiment with new techniques and you're going to get better at video uh, production. Mm-hmm. And you're going to keep mixing in more of your personality into it. Like, I'd say those are all like pretty safe trends to sort of predict. Yeah. And then... Whatever your business is, it'll be around those things.
1: Yeah, that's the thing and that'll incrementally change just like my channel has and my videos right. have. Like if you look at my videos from three years ago, like they're they're not very good. Okay. <laughs> but it's like I didn't go to, to school to learn video production stuff. Like yeah. it was one step at a time. You, you learn how to use the software and it's like, oh, I wanna, I wanna do this, you know, how do I do that? And you, you Google it and figure out how to do that trick and you kind of file that in, in your library of, of knowledge. And it's the same thing with, with any genre of, of, of skill. Yeah,
0: and it, there's been such an escalation in our community. Like, the level of content, I can't emphasize this enough, the level of stuff that people are producing, both in project types and content types, are it's so much better than, like, three or four years ago. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's like night and day. Like yeah. Um, and we've all kind of grown together. Right. Which is cool to watch. And people sort of establish benchmarks. And then uh, people go past that in a different way. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting to see like the trends that sort of diverge. And then the ones that uh, converge again. Like, uh, you know, people are exploring with different materials. And then that like, there'll be like a moment in time, like River table apocalypse. Yep. <laughs> where there's like a convergence where everyone started doing... Similar things, and I'm not saying that in a critical way. It's actually interesting because you see, when there's a project commonality, you see differences in approaches, both with video and with making. Um, And then I think, like, it's safe to say that Raver Tables are a little bit oversaturated now. I Mm -hmm. don't feel like I'm hurting anyone's feelings, (laughs) but now people are taking. The experimentation with epoxy and resins, and then diverging again and exploring different ways to use them in different types of projects. So, I think that's what's really awesome is that there'll be times where things are becoming more similar. There'll be like a knowledge based or a sort of consensus on, you know, uh, a thorough introduction how to use something effectively. I think it will happen in the future more with digital fabrication. Somebody will do something really cool with a CNC, a lot of other people will. will do similar things with a CNC, and then everything will start to normalize and look like itself. But then people will take that CNC skill that they learned through that normalizing
1: process and then do their own individual stuff again. Um, yeah, it's been very cyclical. It's fun, right. It's fun to watch that, like if you back up and watch the whole space and see see that happen, like fidget spinners was another Fidget thing. spinners, like, pa- ki- early ki- 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 pallet, pallet furniture. Pallet, yep. Yeah. Yeah, pallets will spend like a longer trend, right? Which is which is fun fun to see. Yeah, the first
0: wave of pallet stuff is everybody was building kind of like pallet wood boxes, and there's, everyone was showing their technique for how to disassemble things, mm-hmm. and then that kind of saturated, it. people are like, oh, pallet stuff's
1: dead, and you're like, hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> and that mentality's still there, right? Like even Mike said on the podcast once, he's like, oh, pallet wood is like a dead search term, right? Like he wouldn't make anything from pallet. Wood. And I was like, well, first, right. there's still something there.
0: Yes. And it's like he's
1: right in terms of
0: like the the, the common things. It's like people saying that like vegan mm-hmm. restaurants aren't as popular, right. but but to the people that want that, they're exceptionally popular. Yep. And I get that when I work with, when I try to work with like a network, and they're like, oh, people don't want to see a home building show that's about information and instruction. And I'm like, I know that you're right, and that it's not as popular as just before and after reveals. But when you look at the supply of that kind of content versus the supply of this less popular type of content, this will perform better. Mm-hmm. And that's why when people ever ask me for – it's funny. That's why it's it's like I really like your guys' talk, the sort of F the formula thing. Because there are such things as best practices, but they're not always applicable because – we don't all have common resources or common skill sets. Mm -hmm. So the five most efficient things to do, let's say three of them involve uh, search engine optimization and writing copy and things like that. But if you hate writing (laughs) or you're a terrible speller or you're slow at it, It's not going to be one of your five best things you can do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You got to work to your strengths. Right. And that's different for everybody. Right.
0: So it's like people don't take into account like personal capital. It's like we're mostly one person or a few person businesses. So it doesn't matter what theoretically the the best thing to do is. It matters like what's the best way to use what you currently have and extrapolate on that. So the palette one thing, oddly, like, I, I love that. I love people that kind of defy that trend. It's like, oh yeah, Mike says, palette furniture
1: is dead. Yep. <laughs> and you're just like chugging along, building this whole audience <laughs> around this thing. I was like, wait, wait a second, <laughs> I, I got more to say. And like all those videos perform really, really well. For right. Me.
0: But I think that's true, not just in like uh, media, that's true with like craftsmen of all types, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's, there's people out there making violins the same way they've always been made. Uh, there's people out there cooking in a way that's like people are like oh no, no one cooks that way anymore. Uh, it's almost like as that trend, you don't want to be part of like a dying trend where there's a lot of people in the dying process. But once everyone died off, if you're the strongest person left and now you're the only person doing it that way because everyone else gave up because they, they didn't weren't able to stick it out or to sort of survive the downturn, that's actually a really competitive. Way to be,
1: yep. um, yeah. If you can find like a very very specific niche and be like the master of, of that, yeah, like, like you're you're the biggest the biggest thing in that space. Yeah, the
0: let's talk a little bit about your talk at WorkbenchCon because I thought it was so different than than it, than all the other talks, right? Like, so I went to like Brad's uh, Instagram one and did it before and after it and it was like it was so good because like Brad's amazing at breaking down not what he does and how it works, but why it works yep. uh, and using multiple examples. But Brad is also someone that loves numbers and, like, that's his joy. Like, that's his coconut. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it totally makes sense for him. Uh, so yeah, it's yeah. like, you know, it's funny, though. So your guys' message, I totally agree with but the part I would push back a little bit and I don't think it's like a pushback on the idea but I think think people have a resistance to it. Like Mm -hmm. I was watching the audience react to you guys talk and Mm -hmm. when you sort of say, I think when you guys sort of say you just got to find what you love and then figure out a way to do that. I think a lot of people feel like one, they don't know what they love (laughs) Um, and two, that they feel like that's a little bit of a platitude. Right? Mm -hmm. So and then they're like, but because they were they're worried about it being like the, like the way kids are treated now versus the, the, the participation trophy phenomena in like children, right? So. so it's like, everyone gets a participation trophy now. And that's largely came from like a good motivation of like, hey, it's good, it's better to encourage people than to beat them down. Mm-hmm. But then- Yeah, work and reward. Right, and, but now people worry that, oh, everyone gets rewarded for not doing that. So it's like they can agree that kids should be supported in doing that, but they might disagree with the sort of participation trophy aspect of it. I think I saw some people reacting to your talk where they were saying like, okay, no, I want to do that. But like if I just let myself do only what I like, how will I get anything productive done? And that's clearly not what you're doing because you're doing a ton of things that you don't like.
1: (laughs) <laughs> right yeah and like I, I tried to acknowledge that too because I felt the pushback like you were saying right like I kind of anticipated that like I I, I acknowledge that I was like I, I understand the irony of us of us standing up here like basically on a pedestal and we have like established YouTube channels and like we have businesses that, that pay us money and, and you know we're paying the bills and we're fine and we're saying just do what you love it's like well, yeah, we're, <laughs> that's, we had a, a, a meme in there of, of Bo Burnham. He's, he's basically, you know, he's a, a comedian that, that came up in like the, the infant stages of YouTube. Right. He kind of got lucky with being at the right place at the right time. Right. And he was talking, I think it was on Conan. And, and basically said like don't listen to me and, and like Katy Perry tell you like follow your dreams. Right. Because like we're, <laughs> we're not the right people to listen to. Like that's like a, a lottery winner saying like liquidize your assets and buy buy, and buy uh, Powerball tickets because right. that's how you make money.
0: Right. Yeah, I think it's like almost like finding the struggle that you that you like the most. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. More than like, right, because it's like I love my work but there's so many days where I hate my job. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found like this type of struggle that suits me the best, or for now at least um so I found like a a pain in the ass that's like awesome for me, <laughs> yeah, um, but that doesn't mean it's not it's like all joy and comfort and mm-hmm. and, and and fun it's a lot of like.
1: Yeah. And that was nice. kind of the point of the talk is like we started like over on, on this far left side and we're just saying like the, the Made for Profit podcast is like total BS. Like don't listen right. to anything yeah. that yeah. the that and Brad say and and uh, we're, we're on the complete opposite side and like by the end of the presentation we're like you know the real answer is somewhere in the middle for right. most people. Right. Like you, you could be a complete artist, you could be like a complete data nerd like Brad. Right. You know, or you could be such somewhere. a data nerd <laughs> the worst. The worst. It's funny.
0: Yeah, I think that's the other thing is that you don't owe it to yourself or there's no obligation to optimize everything,
1: right? Like, Mm -hmm. you don't have to do every platform or all those things. Right, right. And you don't have to start out with that mindset to to, to begin with. Like, you you don't have to say, I'm going to make a YouTube channel. I'm going to make this. You don't have to be on Twitter. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, that's true.
0: And I think think because people see it, people – a lot of people are interested in taking, going from sort of a hobby to a profession Mm -hmm. and they rightly describe that as a leap. And anytime you take something as much of a leap, your means you're even the choice of that word means you're thinking about it as risk. And I think people, they look at doing a lot of different things as a way of like protecting that, which I actually think the opposite is true where it's really just doing that inventory and being like, Oh, here's what I'm going to do, be really good at. And, like, that doesn't mean I have to do everything. That means I probably only really need to double down on this thing. Um, So, I mean, I, you know, I would watch, you know, early on, I'd watch, like, Jimmy's and Bob's videos. I'd be like, okay, so Bob's really good on camera and he talks to that and he's just got this, like, really kind of just, like, every man but smarter kind of communication ability. I'm like, okay, i got to figure out how to do that. And I, like, I would try to do some things like that. I'm like, this just isn't me. I'm like, well, I don't know. That's good. I'm I'll design differently. Um and yeah, I think that's what's so what's so fun, especially at this last workbench con, is that there's so many people that have like I guess for lack of a better term, I don't want to be like jinx it, but I've like kind of made it, mm-hmm. um, that have figured out a way to make a good living doing cool stuff that's representative of them
1: and the channels are different. There isn't a formula right like right and if you look at those channels too most people have gotten there by accident yeah like my intention wasn't to start a youtube channel to, to be my full time job yeah. like i did not envision what it is today you know 3 years ago basically when i when i took it full time and and most of the people that you see that are like the bigger channels it's the same case mm-hmm. like that wasn't the plan it wasn't to make it a business and there's a lot of people that ask me i'm sure the same with you, you yeah. know, when did i was talking to somebody on instagram this week and they're like i don't know when to take the jump. And it's like, well, <laughs> you gotta work up to that. Right. Like it's it's not one one big jump. Like I when I took my business full time, like I had no business doing it with the, my channel was like twenty thousand subscribers or something. But my wife had joined the Coast Guard at that point, so I had to quit my full time job. So it's like well, it just made sense. Like I had some savings from my job that I was working in Boston, and I had basically I said my, uh, myself a year. I said give myself a year, see if I can get it to grow to a point where it's actually making money. And if not, I can go and get another job, no problem. And if it works, I'll keep doing it. Right. And and I kept doing it. So that was just that was my jumping off point, but it wasn't by choice, right. really. And this is all
0: experimentation. Like you don't know, people want certainty before they try and it just doesn't exist. Like mm-hmm. you have to experiment. But well, I think what's great about your portfolio of work is that you're throwing darts at a board and seeing what happens, but you're throwing them in a cluster, right? right. And that's why I think it is going back to like some consistency throughout your process. Is You've, a lot of people think like experimentation is just trying random stuff. And then hopefully one thing hits big when i think that like effective uh, experimentation is when you're only changing a few one or two variables at a time Mm -hmm. so you can actually uh, see some comparison that's about the variables not about just like a random set of choices um and again that's why i like looking at your your whole (laughs) portfolio because there's so many through lines but where you're at right now is so different than where you started but it's totally you can see the DNA going all the way back through.
1: Right. Yeah. There's a very natural progression in the projects themselves. Like from, I think it might've been the pallet wood workbench was kind of the first pallet project and it just kind of stemmed from there. And the most recent one, I think, was the coasters. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, progression from that point. Like, with every project, like, um, from the workbench, I think the next one was, like, the bench that I made with the the contoured seat on it. And that had, like, finger joints, like faux finger joints on the corners. And that was kind of the next level from that and and carving the seat Mm -hmm. in that. I don't remember what the the next one was past that, but I'm sure it played on that idea from that project and and put a different spin on it. So they're all their own unique projects on their own, but they're also kind of a series of, of progression Uh, from the workbench to to coasters and the videos themselves too Yeah, the, the, the editing style of the videos has has You Start doing a lot of your like kind of Zach King like magic tricks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a lot of editing tricks and stuff. And I would try to think of something new for every project. It's like, oh, I want to I want to hit myself with my car, yeah. right? And and try to you know blow palettes up that way. And, and I was like, well, how do I do that? <laughs> Pat Lapp is a good friend of mine, a, a French Canadian, another YouTuber, Olympic mm-hmm. Bois. And uh, I'll throw ideas at him. It's like, I want to do this. How do I do it? Right. <laughs> and he's really good at, at solving those problems for me.
0: So what's, what's next for you? Like, What are the, the areas you, you're like investigating now and what are the type of projects you're, you're currently intrigued by?
1: Yeah, I mean, keeping playing with the pallet wood, um, more reclaimed stuff. Um, the most recent project I've been working on is a kitchen island and I'm, I'm making some barn doors to go on it. And uh, welded up some uh, rebar, or not rebar, uh, angle iron mm-hmm. uh, that I got from the salvage store. And it's you know reusing metal is not something you see a ton because it's kind of hard to find. But um, if you can find those architectural salvage places, those are are
0: pretty cool. Sometimes they're like a little pricey relative to what you get. Like, yeah, it's it's tricky. It's like it's like vintage store versus thrift store, right? Like same (laughs) job, totally different (laughs) price point.
1: Yeah, it's the same materials. Yeah, you got to be there at like the right place at the right time. to find material too, which is tricky. It's not like Home Depot. You walk in there, no, there's a two by
0: four. So, is are you gonna go with like a a painted finish, or go with like a clean sort of just take the metal all the way down to bare and wax it, or wait? yeah? I'm
1: not sure yet. I'm not sure. I was thinking maybe painting it, um, but I'm not sure. I want to keep the metal look too, right. like the pallet wood. Like I like to keep the look of the pallets, but unless I tell you that it's pallet wood, you don't know that right. it is. Um, so maybe play off of that a little bit, um, mm-hmm. but I don't know. The future is just kind of developing that further, um, seeing what the next step is. Um, in both, both the video making aspects and, and the reclaimed aspects and kind of trying to play with more materials and um, kind of cha- tangentially connect them to, to what I've been doing. Right. Um, yeah, I think like when, when you introduced
0: it's funny, people think that they need to have all these random elements to create something unique. Right? And you, I see this in cooking all the time mm-hmm. where it's like oh, we can't just have good french fries. We have to have like truffle oil french fries and they can't just be truffle oil french fries they also have to be truffle oil parmesan Mm -hmm. french fries and then someone else did that so we have to add so it becomes very additive right when whereas I think what you're really good at is taking the basic thing the palette stuff and then saying okay now I'm going to get into power carving and that just just open up one type of project for you that opens up like a whole bunch of types of projects for you and then it seems like because then you start thinking of more organic or curvilinear shapes mm-hmm. out of out of solids. Then you're like, oh, maybe I'll do some
1: on the lathe and some on this, and then it's opening up a shape vocabulary, right? And you get your brain thinking differently too, right? Because like naturally or, or historically, I guess woodworking is very linear, boxy, and, and you know that kind of shape versus a, a organic shape that, which is kind of ironic, because like that's trees are organic and we turn them into like these rectilinear (laughs) shapes. um, And I'm kind of like turning it back into an organic shape. Um, But it does make you think differently, which then kind of primes your brain to to think of different ideas that are outside of the box. Yeah. I think
0: think from like a few years from now, we'll look back and be like, okay, if you have the question, what are all the different types of things I can make out of pallet woods? Like, if they look at your channel, they'll see like forty percent of the answers. Yep. <laughs> like
1: it's a, I've done all the work for you.
0: Here's a body of research, right? Like, and, and, and also how it will develop with like as 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 skill sets develop too. I think that'll be pretty pretty cool to see. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I experienced similar things, not to the same uh, degree, when I was doing concrete stuff for a while. Is that like okay? So the first step was how do I take cheap disposable things on hand and pour concrete into them? And what could those shapes be used for? Yeah. Then it was, how do I manipulate those things that i found? And then it was like, how do I introduce a, a material? Then it, then with that, I sort of acknowledge here's the limitations of the found objects as they relate to mold making. Then I introduced like a specialty material like silicone for that. And then it's about form finding to, to, to drive that sort of silicone mold making process. Um, but, It's so much, it's so much less stressful to just take one step with one experiment rather than saying, I gotta come up with a video that goes viral that has 800 things that nobody's ever seen before. Right. And I gotta put LED lights in it, it's gotta have a resin thing, it's gotta have some glitter, it's gotta have a montage of power carving, it's gotta have reclaim, it's gotta hit these things. So
1: it's much easier to just escalate, Uh, incrementally Mm -hmm. yeah it's funny how how similar the concrete thing is to to the pallet wood right like we've both kind of gone along those routes kind of at the same time unintentionally right like you search for concrete on YouTube and you're gonna find a handful of your videos and the same thing with pallet wood for me and just creating a library of content to see like you know concrete is is like the thing that's holding up every building that everybody's sitting in right now and pallets are like that's how everything gets to you. <laughs> everything that we
0: have came on a pallet. Right.
1: Yeah. So they come from like the same, the same, like just low level of, of like you don't even think about that as a material. And have
0: you done like much like research or read like about pallets and like just in general like the like do you have like weird pallet
1: knowledge? I don't know. <laughs> a little bit. I mean, the blue pallets, the chip pallets. Mm. There's a there's a story behind that. Um, basically, if you see any of the blue painted palettes, they're owned by Chep, which is like a, a national uh, palette ownership mm. company. Um, so, like if you take one of those and, and disassemble it, like you're technically stealing from yep. Chep. It's so like they can they can take legal action from Hold you for, for taking one of those apart. I think it was a Canadian company at one point. Mm. I can't remember or Australian. It was some other country, and somehow they're they're all. So it was Australian. That's what it was. Uh-huh. It was during. The World War II, there was like a bunch of pallets that the U.S. was was um, setting up in, in Australia. So they were near Japan. And there's like some connection be, between that and what Chep is now. Like I think they had a bunch of pallets there and they left them behind. And then Chep took ownership of the pallets that the U.S. just like left there. And that kind of somehow developed into what it is today. I don't know like from from A to B how that got there, but that's like the the, the birth of of, of that uh, that company.
0: So can you like identify the difference between like a palette that originated from China versus Russia? Actually they're probably too close together, but like <laughs> South America versus China versus Russia versus
1: you know the US yeah. and stuff like that or a lot out? of them are stamped. So hmm. if you see the stamps that they say H T, which is heat treated, and then there's usually a, a country code on there so you can tell what country originated from. Um, there's there's HT and MB, which is how they treat it to eradicate the bugs in the wood. Uh, mm-hmm. MB is methyl bromide. It's a chemical right. they used to fumigate it with, which is now illegal. Awesome for cutting basically boards. everywhere. <laughs> yeah, fell <laughs> with cutting boards and shot glasses. You yeah. know, something stupid like that. And, uh, yeah, I get a lot of crap for that. But that was, like, illegal, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago.
0: Yeah, it was interesting. In in doing the shipping container house, I was researching just kind of, like, the flow of containers. Like, where do they come from? Like, how many trips does an average one take before it gets decommissioned? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, what what happens to them? Because they are these things that just travel all over the world. Like, if they did, like, you know, bacterial or, or like, organic scans of a pallet or a shipping container, it's going to have soil samples from every continent Mm -hmm. on it. By the time it's 10
1: years old. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the shipping containers, it's funny. That's like the same thing, but they're more uniform. Right. Whereas the pallets are whatever material is in that local area where they Right. They and then they just use it for
0: harder or like stronger woods for it. There's more compression weight on them mm-hmm. and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Like I got a pallet. It was one of the Coca-Cola pallets, um, which technically is property of Coca-Cola, but it was in the trash. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I took that. I dis- disassembled it because it looked like some real nice material. And it was Kamaru. Uh, which is like oh, a yeah, South yeah, American yeah, hardwood.
0: I've, I've done some. Yeah, it's it's like almost. Got, it's a little bit lighter than than Ipe. It's like a little mm-hmm. more orangish, yellowish. Yeah, right. But
1: still like really dense. They just have the dark color to it.
0: <clears throat> yeah, it's funny. Like, uh, well, it's. I mean, South America. It's like they have like a lot of the palettes that I've seen down there are like eucalyptus or tropical hardwoods. Yep. And a lot of them will have like live edge pieces of tropical hardwoods because <laughs> those are the plentiful trees. They that's just what they have. They yeah. don't have that softwood kind of. uh, You know, pine and Mm -hmm. fast-growing stuff. It's just they have a lot of like moisture and humidity, and there's a lot of rainforest.
1: So it's these like harder, oily woods and stuff. Yeah, it's like luxury material to us. Yeah, we'll pay. 10, 15 bucks a board foot or something yeah. for this crazy exotic stuff.
0: The other time but I've seen I've seen a lot of like timber strand ones recently yeah. where it's like, especially for like heavy machinery mm-hmm. where like the, the the flats will be hardwood, like the, the half inch or three quarter inch like slats, but like the st- structural members uh, across them are like timber strand. But it's not, it's like, have you ever seen that those type of beams? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like, in, it's like a three-dimensional like elongated, OSB, but mm-hmm. in volume. <laughs> uh, yeah, and they can actually look pretty cool sometimes too. Yeah, I've turned some of that before, just because yeah. of the, the shape of it's really cool. Cool. So, uh,
1: what have you been uh, watching and consuming from a content standpoint? Um, I don't know. Probably I watch a lot of Rhett and Link, you know, the Good Mythical Morning guys, and uh, particularly if if you've seen my earlier content, you saw the cutting board that I made for yeah. them, and that they've been doing more like cooking content, so that's been posted. Uh, popping up more in in their videos and uh, recently on on twitter there was a clip that a lot of people sent to me and uh the cook mythical chef josh they call him had a a cleaver and he was like chopping a chicken's head off or something and it was a n-grade cutting board with feet on it so it's like that's not a good idea and he just chopped the board right in half (laughs) so um in in case anybody's worried about that i've been talking with with josh i connect with him on Twitter. And I'm gonna rectify that that situation. Yeah, end grain
0: cutting board is not good for cleaver. No. So. <laughs> Are you gonna make a new one or just repair that one? Or
1: yeah, I'm gonna make a new one. They said they got rid of the. They, the wording was they recycled the old one. So yeah, I was gotta, like, I don't gotta, know what that means. You gotta
0: bring that pallet diamond pattern. I know. A... <laughs> for a cutting board, yeah, that'd be a lot. And obviously, no
1: pallet wood for cutting boards, right? No. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 like where I draw the line. Like I made the shot glasses out of pallet wood, but it's like they're. For looks, right? And also, it's
0: like the alcohol's probably worse. <laughs> more than likely. Yeah, yeah, it'll kill whatever
1: whatever's in the palate. But.
0: Yeah, I haven't been watching too much YouTube lately. Um, I've been uh, oh, I've been listening to to podcasts though. In particular, uh, I've been listening to a comedian named Andrew Schultz. Uh, and if you have children or offended by bad language, don't listen to him. It's it's pretty filthy, but he's really smart. And in particular, uh, I heard him on the Fighter and the Kid podcast, and he was talking a lot about platforms, and that was the part I was really interested in, is that all these comedians, so comedians, they all like like us, they're a community, they talk to each other, they produce content, a lot of it independently produced. They use podcasts and YouTube in combination to, to get their word out, and they make their money by selling tickets and stuff like that to, to live shows. Which is a little bit different than you know, branded integrations, which is what we kind of do more. But what was interesting is that they all kind of try to get these, these special deals. So if you're a comedian and you get a Netflix deal or an HBO deal for a stand up special, mm-hmm. that's considered like uh, a legitimizer or like a big step. Well, here's a guy that was doing really well online, but he could never quite get that deal. But instead, he's arguing that it's actually, he's releasing his own special just on YouTube. But instead of releasing as an hour-long thing, he's releasing it as like a sort of weekly series of like ten to fifteen-minute chunks of it hmm. around a particular topic, and I'm really interested to sort of watch how I do it. He's sort of suggesting that he thinks he actually might be able to make more revenue off of this because it'll get seen by more people. There's more people have YouTube than Netflix, and right. uh, certainly more than HBO or Showtime or any of those. So Andrew Schultz, um, pretty funny guy, definitely profane but uh i always get good ideas on the business side listening to people from other genres talk about it because again it's it's <laughs> i think you're absolutely right in your talk saying that there's becomes this over obsession with formula mm. um and a good way to challenge whatever formulaic things that we're doing is by to look at other things that work in a completely different way whether that's pulling from an outside uh, a medium so that would be my pick well anyways uh paul it's a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. And, uh, for the rest of people, well, I'm actually just going to kick it to Mike to do the outro. <laughs>
1: Thanks Mike. <laughs> awesome. Uh, actually
0: my name is Chris guys, but thank you anyways. All right. Well we are at Benjamin Ueda at four eyes furniture at modern builds and at Jackman underscore works. Thanks Paul for joining us on this one and I'll keep it shorter than what Mike likes to do. And it's late at night so I'll just say good night.
1: See you next week.